When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Section 15 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the Damage to the Navy. This is a short but terrible article. There was one ship called the York, which was lost about three days before the great storm off of Harwich, but most of the men were saved. The loss immediately sustained in the Royal Navy during the storm is included in the list hereunto annexed, it appears from the Navy books. The damage done to the ships that were saved is past our power to compute. The Admiral, Sir Cloudsley Shovel, with the great ships had made sail but the day before out of the downs, and were taken with the storm as they lay at or near the gunfleet, where they being well provided with anchors and cables, rid it out, though in great extremity, expecting death every minute. The loss of small vessels hired into the service and tending the fleet is not included in this, nor can well be. Several such vessels, and some with soldiers on board, being driven away to sea, and never heard of more. The loss of the lighthouse, called the Eddystone at Plymouth, is another article, of which we never heard any particulars other than this, that at night it was standing, and in the morning, all the upper part from the gallery was blown down, and all the people in it perished, and by a particular misfortune, Mr. Winstonley, the contriver of it, a person whose loss is very much regretted by such as knew him, as a very useful man to his country. The loss of that lighthouse is also a considerable damage as tis very doubtful whether it will be ever attempted again, and as it was a great security to the sailors, many a good ship having been lost there in former times. It was very remarkable that, as we are informed, at the same time the lighthouse above said was blown down, the model of it in Mr. Winstonley's house at Littlebury in Essex above two hundred miles from the lighthouse, fell down, and was broken to pieces. 
There are infinite stories of light nature with these. The disasters at sea are full of a vast variety. What we have recommended to the view of the world in this history may stand as an abridgment, and the reader is only to observe that these are the short representations by which he may guess at the most dreadful night these parts of the world ever saw. To relate all things that report furnishes us with would be to make the story exceed common probability, and look like romance. Tis a sad and serious truth, and this part of it is preserved to posterity, to assist them in reflecting on the judgments of God, and handing them on for the ages to come. Of the Earthquake Though this was some time after the storm, yet as the accounts of the storm bring it with them in the following letters, we cannot omit it. The two following letters are from the respective ministers of Boston and Hull, and relate to the account of the earthquake, which was felt over most part of the county of Lincoln, and the east riding of Yorkshire. The letter from Hull, from the Reverend Mr. Banks, minister of the place, is very particular, and deserves entire credit both from the extraordinary character of the worthy gentleman who writes it, and from its exact correspondence with other accounts. Sir, I received yours wherein you acquaint me with a design that I doubt not will meet with that applause and acceptance from the world which it deserves, but am in no capacity to be any way serviceable to it myself the late hurricane having more frighted than hurt us in these parts. I doubt not but your intelligence in general from the northern parts of the nation supplies you with as little matter as what you have from these hereabouts, it having been less violent and mischievous that way. Some stacks of chimneys were overturned here, and from one of them a, a little child of my own was, thanks be to God, almost miraculously preserved, with the maid that lay in the room with him. I hear of none else this way that was so much as in danger, the storm beginning here later than I perceive it did in some other places, its greatest violence being betwixt seven and eight in the morning, when most people were stirring. The earthquake, which the public accounts mention to have happened at Hull and Lincoln, upon the 28th ultimate, was felt here by some people about six in the evening, at the same time that people there, as well as at Grantham and other places, perceived it. We have some flying stories about it which look like fabulous whose credit, therefore, I would not be answerable for, as that <laughs> upon Lincoln Heath the ground was seen to open, and flashes of fire to issue out of the chasm. 
I doubt this account will hardly be thought worth the charge of passage. Had there been anything else of note, you had been very readily served by, Sir, your humble servant, E. K. Boston, January 8th, 1703. Sir, I am afraid that you will believe me very rude, that yours, which I received the 12th of April, has not sooner received such an answer as you expect and desire, and truly, I think, deserve, for a design so generous as to undertake to transmit to posterity a memorial of the dreadful effects of the late terrible tempest, that when God's judgments are in the world, they may be made so public as to engage the inhabitants of the earth to learn righteousness, ought to receive all possible encouragement. But the true reason why I writ no sooner was because by the most diligent inquiries I could make, I could not learn what harm that dreadful tempest did in the Humber. Neither, indeed, can I yet give you any exact account of it, for the great mischief was done in the night, which was so pitch dark, that of above eighty ships that then rid in the Humber, about Grimsby Road, very few escaped some loss or other, and none of them were able to give a relation of any body but themselves. The best account of the effects of the storm in the Humber that I have yet met with, I received but yesterday from Mr. Peter Walls, who is master of that watch-tower called the Spurn Light at the Humber Mouth, and was present there on the night of the 26th of November, the fatal night of the storm. He did verily believe that his pharos, which is above twenty yards high, would have been blown down, and the tempest made the fire in it burn so vehemently that it melted down the iron bars on which it laid like lead, so that they were forced, when the fire was by this means almost extinguished, to put in new bars, and kindle the fire afresh, which they kept in till the morning light appeared. And then Peter Walls observed about six or seven and twenty sail of ships, all driving about the spurnhead, some having cut, others broke their cables, but all disabled and rendered helpless. These were a part of the two fleets that then lay in the Humber, being put in there by stress of weather a day or two before, some from Russia, and the rest of them colliers to and from Newcastle. Of these three were driven upon an island called the Den, within the spurn in the mouth of the Humber. The first of these no sooner touched ground, but she overset, and turned up her bottom, out of which only one of six, the number of that ship's company, was lost, being in the shrouds. The other five were taken up by the second ship, who had saved their boat, 
In this boat were saved all the men of the three ships aforementioned, except as before accepted, and came to Mr. Wall's house at the Spurnhead, who got them good fires and all accommodations necessary for them in such a distress. The second ship, having no body aboard, was driven to sea with the violence of the tempest, and never seen or heard of more. The third, which was then aground, was, as he supposes, broken up and driven, for nothing but some coals that were in her was to be seen the next morning. Another ship, the day after, viz. the 27th of November, was riding in Grimsby Road, and the ship's company, except two boys, being gone ashore, the ship, with the two lads in her, drive directly out of Humber, and was lost, though tis verily believed the two boys were saved by one of the Russia ships or convoys. The same day, in the morning, one John Baines, a Yarmouth master, was in his ship, riding in Grimsby Road, and, by the violence of the storm, some other ships coming foul upon him, Part of his ship was broken down, and was driven toward sea, whereupon he anchored under Kilsey land, and with his crew came safe ashore, in his boat, but the ship was never seen more. The remainder of the six or seven and twenty sail aforesaid, being, as was before observed, driven out of the Humber, very few, if any of them, were ever heard of, and tis rationally believed that all, or the most of them, perished. And, indeed, although the storm was not so violent here as it was about Portsmouth, Yarmouth Roads, and the southern coast, yet the crews of the three ships above mentioned declared that they were never out in so dismal a night as that was of the 26th of November, in which the considerable fleet aforesaid rid in Grimsby Road in the Humber, for most of the eighty sail broke from their anchors, and run foul one upon another, but by reason of the darkness of the night they could see very little of the mischief that was done. This is the best account I can give you at present of the effects of the tempest in the Humber, whereas, had the inquiry been made immediately after the storm was over, a great many more of remarkable particulars might have been discovered. As to the earthquake here, though I perceived it not myself, being then walking to visit a sick parishioner, Yet it was so sensibly felt by so many hundreds that I cannot in the least question the truth and certainty of it. It happened here and in these parts upon Innocence Day, the 28th of December being Tuesday, about five of the clock in the evening, or thereabout. Soon after, I gave as particular account as I could learn of it, to that ingenious antiquary, Mr. Thoresby of Leeds in Yorkshire, but had no time to keep a copy of my letter to him, 
nor have I leisure to transcribe a copy of this to you, having so constant a fatigue of parochial business to attend, nor will my memory serve me to recollect all the circumstances of that earthquake, as I sent them to Mr. Thoresby, and possibly he may have communicated that letter to you, or will, upon your least intimation, being a generous person, who loves to communicate anything that may be serviceable to the public. However, lest I should seem to decline the gratifying your request, I will recollect, and here set down, such of the circumstances of that earthquake as do at present occur to my memory. It came with a noise like that of a coach in the streets, and mightily shaked both the glass windows, pewter, china pots, and dishes, and in some places threw them down off the shelves on which they stood. It did very little mischief in this town, except the throwing down a piece of one chimney. Several persons thought that a great dog was got under the chair they sat upon, and others fell from their seats, for fear of falling. It frighted several persons, and caused them for a while to break off their reading, or writing, or what they were doing. They felt but one shake here, but a gentleman in Nottinghamshire told me that being then lame upon his bed, he felt three shakes, like the three rocks of a cradle, to and again. At Laceby, in Lincolnshire, in several other parts of that county, as well as the counties of York and Nottingham, the earthquake was felt very sensibly, and particularly at Laceby aforesaid. There happened this remarkable story. On Innocent's Day in the afternoon, several Morris dancers came thither from Grimsby, and after they had danced and played their tricks, they went towards Aylesby, a little town not far off, and as they were going about five o'clock, they felt two such terrible shocks of the earth that they had much ado to hold their feet, and thought the ground was ready to open and swallow them up, whereupon, thinking that God was angry at them for playing the fool, they returned immediately to Laceby in a great fright, and the next day home, not daring to pursue their intended circuit and dancing. I think tis the observation of Dr. Willis that upon an earthquake the earth sends forth noisome vapours which infect the air, as the air does our bodies, and accordingly it has proved here where we have ever since had a most sickly time, and the greatest mortality that has been in this place for fifteen years last past, and so I believe it has been over the greatest part of England. This, sir, is the best account I can give you of the earthquake, which had come sooner, but that I was desirous to get likewise the best account I could of the effects of the storm in the Humber, my humble service to the undertakers, 
and if in anything I am capable to serve them, or you, please freely to command, sir, your most humble servant, Robert Banks. We have a farther account of this in two letters from Mr. Thoresby, F.R.S., and written to the publishers of the Philosophical Transactions, and printed in their monthly collection, number 289, as follows, which is the same mentioned by Mr. Banks. Part of two letters from Mr. Thoresby, F.R.S., to the publisher, concerning an earthquake, which happened in some places of the north of England, the 28th of December, 1703. You have heard, no doubt, of the late earthquake that affected some part of the north, as the dreadful storm did the south. It being most observable at Hull, I was desirous of an account from thence that might be depended upon, and therefore writ to the very obliging Mr. Banks, Prebentary of York, who, being vicar of Hull, was the most suitable person I knew to address myself unto, and he, being pleased to favour me with a judicious account of it, I will venture to communicate it to you, with his pious reflection thereupon. As to the earthquake you mention, it was felt here on Tuesday, the 28th of the last month, which was Childermas Day, about three or four minutes after five in the evening. I confess I did not feel it myself, for I was at that moment walking to visit a sick gentleman, and the noise in the streets and my quick motion made it impossible, I believe, for me to feel it. But it was so almost universally felt that there can be no manner of doubt of the truth of it. Mr. Piers, my reader, who is an ingenious good man, was then at his study and writing, but the heaving up of his chair and his desk, the shake of his chamber, and the rattling of his windows did so amaze him that he was really affrighted, and was forced, for a while, to give over his work, and there are twenty such instances amongst tradesmen, too tedious to repeat. My wife was then in her closet, and thought her china would have come about her ears, and my family felt the chairs moved, in which they were sitting by the kitchen fireside, and heard such a rattle of the pewter and windows as almost affrighted them. A gentlewoman, not far off, said, her chair lifted so high that she thought the great dog had got under it, and to save herself from falling, slipped off her chair. I sent to a house where part of a chimney was shaken down to inquire of the particulars. They kept ale, and being pretty full of company, that they were merry. They did not perceive the shock only heard the pewter and glass windows dance. But the landlady's mother, who was in a chamber by herself, felt the shock so violent that she verily believed the house to be coming down, as part of the chimney aforementioned did 
at the same moment, and cried out in a fright, and had fallen, but that she catched hold of the table. It came and went suddenly, and was attended with a noise like the wind, though there was then a perfect calm. From other hands I have an account that it was felt in Beverly and other places, at South Dalton, particularly where the parson's wife, my own sister, being alone in her chamber, was sadly frighted with the heaving up of the chair she sat in, and the very sensible shake of the room, especially the windows, etc. A relation of mine, who was a minister near Lincoln, being then at a gentleman's house in the neighbourhood, was amazed at the moving of the chairs they sat upon, which was so violent, he writes, every limb of him was shaken. I am told, also, from a true hand, that so nigh us at Selby, where Mr. Travers, a minister, being in his study writing, was interrupted much as Mr. Piers above mentioned, which minds me of worthy Mr. Banks' serious conclusion. And now I hope you will not think it unbecoming my character to make this reflection upon it, viz. that famines, pestilences, and earthquakes are joined by our blessed Saviour as portending future calamities, and particularly the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish state, if not the end of the world, St. Matthew 24-7. And if, as philosophers observe, those gentler convulsions within the bowels of the earth, which give the inhabitants but an easy jog, do usually portend the approach of some more dreadful earthquake, then surely we have reason to fear the worst, because I fear we so well deserve it, and pray God of his infinite mercy to avert his future judgments. Since my former account of the earthquake at Hull, my cousin Cookson has procured to me the following account from his brother, who is a clergyman near Lincoln, viz. that he, being about five in the evening, December the twentieth past, sat with a neighbouring minister at his house about a mile from Navenby. They were surprised with a sudden noise, as if it had been of two or three coaches driven furiously down the yard, whereupon the servant was sent to the door, in expectation of some strangers, but they quickly perceived what it was by the shaking of the chairs they sat upon. They could perceive the very stones move. The greatest damage was to the gentlewoman of the house, who was put into such a fright that she miscarried two days after. He writes, they were put into a greater fright upon the fast day, when there was so violent a storm they verily thought the church would have fallen upon them. We had also at Leeds a much greater storm the night preceding the fast, and a stronger wind that day, 
than when the fatal storm was in the south, but a good providence timed this well to quicken our too cold devotions. End of section 15section 16 of the storm by daniel defoe this librivox recording is in the public domain of remarkable deliverances as the sad and remarkable disasters of this terrible night were full of a dismal variety so the goodness of providence in the many remarkable deliverances both by sea and land have their share in this account as they claim an equal variety and wonder the sense of extraordinary deliverances as it is a mark of generous christianity so i presume tis the best token that a good use is made of the mercies received the persons who desire a thankful acknowledgment should be made to their merciful deliverer and the wonders of his providence remitted to posterity shall never have it to say that the editor of this book refused to admit so great a subject a place in these memoirs and therefore with all imaginable freedom he gives the world the particulars from their own mouths and under their own hands the first account we have from the reverend mr king lecturer at st martin's in the fields as follows sir the short account i now send to show the providence of god in the late dreadful storm if yet it comes not too late i had from the mouth of the gentleman himself mr woodgate gizzer by name who is a neighbour of mine living in st martin's street in the parish of st martin's in the fields and a sufferer in the common calamity is as follows viz between two and three of the clock in the morning my neighbour's stack of chimneys fell and broke down the roof of my garret into the passage going up and down the stairs upon which i thought it convenient to retire into the kitchen with my family where we had not been above a quarter of an hour before my wife sent her maid to fetch some necessaries out of a back parlour closet and as she had shut the door and was upon her return the very same instant my neighbour's stack of chimneys on the other side of the house fell upon my stack and beat in the roof and so drove down the several floors through the parlour into the kitchen where the maid was buried near five hours in the rubbish without the least damage or hurt whatsoever this her miraculous preservation was occasioned as i afterwards with surprise found by her 
falling into a small cavity near the bed, and afterwards, as she declared, by her creeping under the tester that lay hollow by reason of some joices that lay athwart each other, which prevented her perishing in this said rubbish. About eight in the morning, when I helped her out of the ruins, and asked her how she did, and why she did not cry out for assistance, since she was not, as I supposed she had been, dead, and so to let me know that she was alive. Her answer was that truly she, for her part, had felt no hurt, and was not the least affrighted, but lay quiet, and, which is more, even slumbered until then. The preservation of myself and the rest of my family, about eleven in number, was, next to the providence of God, occasioned by our running into a vault almost level with the kitchen, upon the noise and alarm of the falling of the chimneys, which, breaking through three floors, and about two minutes in passing, gave us the opportunities of that retreat. Pray accept of this short account from your humble servant and lecturer, James King, M.A., February 12th, 1703. Another is from a reverend minister at blank, whose name is to his letter as follows. Sir, I thank you for your charitable visit not long since. I could heartily wish your business would have permitted you to have made a little longer stay at the parsonage, and then you might have taken a stricter view of the ruins by the late terrible wind. Seeing you are pleased to desire from me a more particular account of that sad disaster, I have for your fuller satisfaction sent you the best I am able to give, and if it be not so perfect and so exact a one as you may expect, you may rely upon me it is a true and a faithful one, and that I do not impose upon you or the world in the least in any part of the following relation. I shall not trouble you with the uneasiness the family was under all the forepart of the evening, even to a fault, as I thought, and told them. I did not then apprehend the wind to be much higher than it had been often on other times, but went to bed, hoping we were more afraid than we needed to have been, when, in bed, we began to be more sensible of it, and lay most of the night awake, dreading every blast till about four of the clock in the morning, when, to our thinking, it seemed a little to abate, and then we fell asleep, and slept till about six of the clock, at which time my wife, waking, and calling one of her maids to rise and come to the children, the maid rose and hastened to her. She had not been up above half an hour, but all of the sudden we heard a prodigious noise, as if part of the house had been fallen down. 
I need not tell you the consternation we were all in upon this alarm. In a minute's time, I am sure, I was surrounded with all my infantry that I thought I should have been overlaid. I had not even power to stir one limb of me, and much less to rise, though I could not tell how to lie in bed. The shrieks and the cries of my dear babies perfectly stunned me. I think I hear them still in my ears. I shall not easily, I am confident, if ever, forget them. There I lay, preaching patience to those little innocent creatures, till the day began to appear. Presses and lacrimae, prayers and tears, the primitive Christians' weapons, we had great plenty of to defend us withal. But had the house all fallen upon our heads, we were in that fright as we could scarce have had power to rise for the present, or do anything for our security. Upon our rising, and sending a servant to view what she could discover, we soon understood that the chimney was fallen down, and that with its fall it had beaten down a great part of that end of the house, viz. the upper chamber, and the room under it, which was the room I chose for my study. The chimney was thought as strong, and as well built as most in the neighborhood, and it surprised the mason, whom I immediately sent for to view it, to see it down. But that which was most surprising to me was the manner of its falling. Had it fallen almost any other way than that it did, it must in all likelihood have killed the much greater part of our family, for no less than nine of us lay at that end of the house, my wife and self, and five children, and two servants, a maid and a man, then in my pay, and so a servant, though not by the year. The bed of my eldest daughter and the maid lay enjoined as near as possible to the chimney, and it was within a very few yards of the bed that we lay in, so that, as David said to Jonathan, there seemed to be but one single step between death and us to all outward appearance. One thing I cannot omit, which was very remarkable and surprising, it so pleased God so to order it that in the fall of the house two great spars seemed to fall so as to pitch themselves on an end, and by that means to support that other part of the house which adjoined to the upper chamber, or else in all likelihood that must also have fallen too at the same time. The carpenter whom we sent for forthwith, when he came, asked who placed those two supporters, supposing somebody had been there before him, and when he was told those two spars in the fall so placed themselves, 
he could scarce believe it possible. It was done so artificially that he declared they scarce needed to have been removed. In short, sir, it is impossible to describe the danger we were in. You yourself was an eyewitness of some part of what is here related, and I once more assure you, the whole account I have here given you is true, and what can be attested by the whole family. None of all those unfortunate persons who are said to have been killed with the fall of a chimney could well be much more exposed to danger than we were. It is owing wholly to that watchful providence to whom we are all indebted for every minute of our lives that any of us escaped. None but he who never sleeps nor slumbers could have secured us. I beseech Almighty God to give us all that due sense as we ought to have of so great and so general calamity, that we truly repent us of those sins that have so long provoked his wrath against us, and brought down so heavy a judgment as this upon us. Oh, that we were so wise as to consider it, and to sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon us that it may have this happy effect upon all the sinful inhabitants of this land, is, and shall be, the daily prayer of dear sir, your real friend and servant, John Gibbs. Another account from a reverend minister in Dorsetshire. Take as follows, viz., Sir, as you have desired an account of the disasters occasioned by the late tempest, which I can assure you was, in these parts, very terrible, so I think myself obliged to let you know that there was a great mixture of mercy with it. For though the hurricane was frightful and very mischievous, yet God's gracious providence was therein very remarkable, in restraining its violence from an universal destruction. For then there was a commotion of the elements of air, earth, and water, which then seemed to outvie each other in mischief. For, in David's expression, Second Samuel 22.8, the earth trembled and quaked, the foundations of the heavens moved and shook, because God was angry. And yet, when all was given over for lost, we found ourselves more scared than hurt, for our lives was given us for a prey, and the tempest did us only so much damage as to make us sensible that it might have done us a great deal more had it not been rebuked by the God of mercy, the care of whose providence has been visibly seen in our wonderful preservations. Myself and three more of this parish were then 
strangely rescued from the grave. I narrowly escaped with my life, where I apprehended nothing of danger, for going out about midnight to give orders to my servants to secure the house, and reeks of corn and furses from being blown away, as soon as I moved out of the place where I stood, I heard something of a great weight fall close behind me, and a little after going out with the light to see what it was, I found it to be the great stone which covered the top of my chimney to keep out the wet. It was almost a yard square and very thick, weighing about an hundred and fifty pound. It was blown about a yard off from the chimney, and fell edge long, and cut the earth about four inches deep, exactly between my footsteps. And a little after, whilst sitting under the clavel of my kitchen chimney, and reaching out my arm for some fuel to mend the fire, I was again strangely preserved from being knocked on the head by a stone of great weight, it being about a foot long, half a foot broad, and two inches thick. For as soon as I had drawn in my arm, I felt something brush against my elbow, and presently I heard the stone fall close to my foot, a third part of which was broken off by the violence of the fall, and scarred my ankle but did not break the skin. It had certainly killed me had it fallen while my arm was extended. The top of my wheat rick was blown off, and some of the sheaves were carried a stone's cast, and with that violence that one of them, at that distance, struck down one Daniel Fuchs, a late servant of the Lady Napier and so forcibly that he was taken up dead, and to all appearance remained so a great while, but at last was happily recovered to life again. His mother, poor widow, was at the same time more fatally threatened at home, and her bed had certainly proved her grave, had not the first noise awakened and scared her out of bed, and she was scarce gotten to the door when the house fell all in. The smith's wife, likewise being scared at such a rate, leapt out of bed, and with the little child in her arms, and ran hastily out of doors, naked, without hose or shoes, to a neighbor's house, and by that hasty flight both their lives were wonderfully preserved. The sheets of lead on Lytton Church were rolled up like sheets of parchment and blown off to a great distance. At Strode, a large apple tree being about a foot in square, was broken off cleverly like a stick about four foot from the root and carried over an hedge about ten foot high and cast as if darted with the trunk forward, above fourteen yards off, and I am credibly informed that at Elwood, in the parish of Abbotsbury, 
a large wheat rick belonging to one Jolliffe was cleverly blown with its staddle off from the stones, and set down on the ground in very good order. I would fain know of the atheist what moved his omnipotent matter to do such mischief, etc. Sir, I am your affectionate friend and servant, though unknown. Jacob Cole, rector of Swire, in the county of Dorset. This account is very remarkable and well attested, and the editor of this collection can vouch to the reputation of the relators, though not to the particulars of the story. A Great Preservation in the Late Storm About three of the clock in the morning, the violence of the wind blew down a stack of chimneys belonging to the dwelling-house of Dr. Gideon Harvey, situate in St. Martin's Lane, over against the street end, on the back part of the next house, wherein dwells Mr. Robert Richards, an apothecary, at the sign of the Unicorn, and Captain Theodore Collier, and his family lodges, in the same. The chimney fell with that force has made them pierce through the roofs and all the floors, carrying them down quite to the ground. The two families, consisting of fourteen men, women, and children, besides three that came in from the next house, were at that instant disposed of as follows. A footman that used to lie in the back garret had not a quarter of an hour before removed himself into the fore garret, by which means he escaped the danger. In the room under that lay Captain Collier's child, of two months old, in bed with the nurse, and a servant-maid lay on the bed by her, the nurse's child lying in a crib by the bedside which was found, with the child safe in it, in the kitchen, where the nurse and maid likewise found themselves, their bed being shattered in pieces, and they a, a little bruised by falling down three stories. Captain Collier's child was, in about two hours, found unhurt in some pieces of the bed and curtains, which had fallen through two floors only, and hung on some broken rafters in that place, which was the parlour. In the room under this, being one pair of stairs from the street, and two from the kitchen, was Captain Collier in his bed, and his wife just by the bedside, and her maid a little behind her, who likewise found herself in the kitchen a little bruised, and ran out to cry for help, for her master and mistress, who lay buried under the ruins. Mrs. Collier was, by the timely aid of neighbours, who removed the rubbish from her, taken out in about half an hour's time, having received no hurt but the fright, and an arm a little bruised. Captain Collier, in about half an hour more, was likewise taken out unhurt, in the parlour was sitting Mr. Richards, with his wife, 
the three neighbours, and the rest of the family, a little boy of about a year old lying in the cradle. They all run out at the first noise, and escaped, Mrs. Richard staying a little longer than the rest, to pull the cradle with her child in it along with her. But the house fell too suddenly on it, and buried the child under the ruins. A rafter fell on her foot, and bruised it a little, at which she likewise made her escape, and brought in the neighbours, who soon uncovered the head of the cradle, and, cutting it off, took the child out, alive and well. This wonderful preservation, being worthy to be transmitted to posterity, we do attest to be true in every particular. Witness our hands. Gideon Harvey, Theodore Collier, Robert Richards, London, November 27, 1703. These accounts of like nature are particularly attested by persons of known reputation and integrity. Sir, in order to promote the good design of your book in perpetuating the memory of God's signal judgment on this nation by the late dreadful tempest of wind, which has hurled so many souls into eternity, and likewise his providence in the miraculous preservation of several persons' lives, who were exposed to the utmost hazards in that hurricane. I shall here give you a short but true instance of the latter, which several persons can witness besides myself, and if you think proper, may insert the same in the book you design for that purpose, which is as follows. At the Saracen's Head in Friday Street, a country lad, lodging three pair of stairs next the roof of the house, was wonderfully preserved from death, for about two o'clock that Saturday morning, the 27th of November, which proved fatal to so many, there fell a chimney upon the roof under which he lay, and beat down through the ceiling, the weight of the tiles, bricks, etc., being judged by a workman, to be about five hundred weight, into the room, fell exactly between the bed's feet and the door of the room, which are not two yards distance from each other, it being but small. The sudden noise awaking the lad, he jumps out of bed, endeavouring to find the door, but was stopped by the great dust and falling of more bricks, etc., and finding himself prevented in this fear, he got into bed again, and remained there till the daylight, the bricks and tiles still falling between whiles about his bed, and then got up without any hurt, or so much as a tile or brick falling on the bed. The only thing he complained of to me was his being almost choked with dust when he got out of bed or put his head out from under the clothes. There was a great weight of tiles and bricks which did not break through 
as the workmen informed me, just over the bed's tester, enough to have crushed him to death if they had fallen. Thus he lay safe among the dangers that threatened him, whilst wakeful providence preserved him. And, sir, if this be worthy your taking notice of, I am ready to justify the same. In witness whereof, here is my name, Henry Mayers. December 3rd, 1703 A Great Preservation in the Late Storm William Phelps and Francis his wife, living at the corner of old Southampton buildings, over against Gray's Inn Gate, in Holborn, they lined up three pair of stairs in the back room, that was only lathed and plastered, he being then very ill. She was forced to lie in a table-bed in the same room about one o'clock in the morning, on the 27th of November last. The wind blew down a stack of chimneys of seven funnels that stood very high, which broke through the roof and fell into the room on her bed, so that she was buried alive, as one may say. She, crying out, Mr. Phelps, Mr. Phelps, the house is fallen upon me, there being so much on her that one could but just hear her speak. A coachman and a footman lying on the same floor, I soon called them to my assistance. We all fell to work, though we stood in the greatest danger, and through the goodness of God, we did take her out, without the least hurt. Neither was any of us hurt, though there was much fell after we took her out. And when we took the bricks off the bed the next morning, we found the frame of the bed on which she lay broke all to pieces. William Phelps End of Section 16
for ever thankful to Almighty God. Sir, the design of your collecting the remarkable accidents of the late storm coming to my hands, I thought myself obliged to take this opportunity of making a public acknowledgment of the wonderful providence of heaven to me, namely, the preservation of my only child from imminent danger. Two large stacks of chimneys, containing each five funnels, beat through the roof in upon the bed where she lay, without doing her the least harm, the servant who lay with her being very much bruised. There were several loads of rubbish upon the bed before my child was taken out of it. This extraordinary deliverance I desire always thankfully to remember. I was so nearly touched by this accident that I could not take so much notice as I intended of this storm, yet I observed the wind gradually to increase from one o'clock till a quarter after five or thereabouts, at which time it seemed to be at the highest, when every gust did not only return with greater celerity, but also with more force. From about a quarter before six, it sensibly decreased. I went often to the door, at which times I observed that every gust was preceded by small flashes, which, to my observation, did not dart perpendicularly, but seemed rather to skim along the surface of the ground, nor did they appear to be of the same kind with the common lightning flashes. I must confess I cannot help thinking that the earth itself suffered some convulsion, and that for this reason, because several springs for the space of forty-eight hours afterwards were very muddy, which were never known to be so by any storm of wind or rain before, nor, indeed, is it possible, they lying so low could be affected by anything less than a concussion of the earth itself. How far these small hints may be of use to the more ingenious inquirers into this matter, I shall humbly leave to their consideration, and subscribe myself, Sir, your humble servant, Joseph Clench, apothecary in German Street near St. James. December 8, 1703 Sir, this comes to let you know that I received yours in the Downs, for which I thank you. I expected to have seen you in London, for now had we not met with a most violent storm in our way to Chatham. On the 27th of the last month, about three of the clock in the morning, we lost all our anchors and drove to sea. About six we lost our rudder, and were left in a most deplorable condition to the merciless rage of the wind and seas. We also sprung a leak, and drove forty-eight hours expecting to perish. 
but it pleased God to give us a wonderful deliverance, scarce to be paralleled in history, for about midnight we were drove into shoal water, and soon after our ship struck upon the sands. The sea broke over us. We expected every minute that she would drop to pieces, and that we should be swallowed up in the deep, but in less than two hours' time we drove over the sands, and got, without rather or pilot, or any help but almighty gods, into this place where we run our ship on shore, in order to save our lives. But it has pleased God also, far beyond our expectation to save our ship, and bring us safe off again last night. We shall remain here a considerable while to refit our ship and get a new rather. Our deliverance is most remarkable, that in the middle of a dark night we should drive over a sand, where a ship that was not half our bigness durst not venture to come in the day, and then, without knowing where we were, drive into a narrow place where we have saved both lives and ship. I pray God give us all grace to be thankful and never forget so great a mercy. I am your affectionate friend and humble servant, Henry Barclay. Russell at Helversluis in Holland, December 16, 1703. Sir, according to the public notice, I send you two or three observations of mine upon the late dreadful tempest, as, one, in the parish of St. Mary Cray, Kent, a poor man and his wife and child, were but just gone out of their bed when the head of their house fell in upon it, which must have killed them. 2. A great long stable in the town near the church was blown off the foundation entirely at one sudden blast, from the west side to the east, and cast out into the highway over the heads of five horses and a carter feeding them at the same time, and not one of them hurt, nor the rack or manger touched which are yet standing to the admiration of all beholders. 3. As the church of Hayes received great damage, so the spire, with one bell in it, were blown away over the churchyard. 4. The minister of South Ash had a great deliverance from a chimney falling in upon his bed just as he rose, and hurt only his feet, as, blessed be God, our lives have been all very miraculously preserved, though our buildings everywhere damaged. You may depend on all, as certified by me, Thomas Watts, Vicar of Orpington, and St. Mary Cray. There are innumerable 
variety of deliverances besides these, which deserve a memorial to future ages, but these are noted from the letters and at the request of the persons particularly concerned. Particularly, tis a most remarkable story of a man belonging to the Mary, a fourth-rate man-of-war, lost upon the Goodwin Sands, and all the ship's company but himself being lost. He, by the help of a piece of the broken ship, got aboard the Northumberland, but the violence of the storm continuing, the Northumberland ran the same fate with the Mary, and, coming on shore upon the same sand, was split to pieces by the violence of the sea. And yet this person, by a singular providence, was one of the sixty-four that were delivered by a deal hooker out of that ship, all the rest perishing in sea. A poor sailor of Brighthelmston was taken up after he had hung by his hands and feet on the top of a mast forty-eight hours, the sea raging so high that no boat durst go near him. Ahoy run on shore on the rocks in Milford Haven, and just splitting to pieces, as by Captain Soames' letter, a boat drove by, being broke from another vessel with nobody in it, and came so near the vessel as that two men jumped into it, and saved their lives. The boy could not jump so far, and was drowned. Five sailors shifted three vessels on an island near the Humber, and were at last saved by a longboat out of the fourth. A waterman in the river of Thames, lying asleep in the cabin of a barge, at or near Blackfriars, was driven through bridge in the storm, and the barge went of herself into the tower dock, and lay safe on shore. The man never waked, nor heard the storm, till twas day, and to his great astonishment, he found himself safe as above. Two boys in the poultry lodging in a garret or upper room were, by the fall of chimneys which broke through the floors, carried quite to the bottom of the cellar, and received no damage at all. Sir, at my return home on Saturday night I received yours, and having said nothing in my last concerning the storm, I send this to tell you that I hear of nothing done by it in this country that may seem to deserve a particular remark. Several houses and barns were stripped of their thatch, some chimneys and gables blown down, and several stacks of corn and hay very much dispersed. But I hear not of any persons either killed or maimed. A neighbor of ours was upon the ridge of his barn, endeavoring to secure the thatch, and the barn at that instant was overturned by the storm. But by the good providence of God, the man received 
little or no harm. I say no more, not knowing of anything more remarkable. I am sorry that other places were such great sufferers, and I pray God avert the like judgments for the future. I am your real friend to serve you, Henry Marshall. Orby, December 18th. 1703. Sir, I have no particular relation to make to you of any deliverance in the late storm, more than was common with me to all the rest that were in it. But having to divert melancholy thoughts while it lasted, turned into verse the 148th psalm to the ninth and afterwards all the psalm. I give you leave to publish it with the rest of those memoirs on that occasion you are preparing for the press. Sir, your, etc., Henry Squire. Roman numeral one, verse one and two. Hallelujah, from heaven the tuneful praise begin. Let praise to God be given, beyond the starry scene ye angels sing his joyful praise your voices raise ye swift of wing roman numeral two three four praise him thou radiant sun the spring of all thy light praise him thou changing moon and all the stars of night Ye heavens declare his glorious fame, And waves that swim above the sphere. Roman numeral three, five, six. Let all his praises sing, his goodness and his power, For at his call they spring, and by his grace endure. That joins them fast, the chain is framed, Their bounds are named and never passed. Roman numeral four, seven, eight. Thou earth his praise proclaim, devouring gulfs and deeps, ye fires and fire-like flame, that o'er the meadows sweeps, thou rattling hail and flaky snow, and winds that blow to do his will. Roman numeral five, nine, ten. Ye prodigies of earth and hills of lesser size, cedars of nobler birth, and all ye fruitful trees, his praises show all things that move, that fly above or creep below. Roman numeral six, eleven, twelve. Monarchs, and ye their praise, the numerous multitude ye judges triumphs raise, and all of nobler blood, of every kind and every age your hearts engage, in praises joined. Roman numeral seven, thirteen, fourteen. Let all his glorious name unite to celebrate above the heavens his fame his fame that's only great 
his people's stay and praise is he and e'er will be hallelujah end of section 17Section 18 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The two following letters, coming from persons in as great danger as any could be, are placed here as proper to be called deliverances of the greatest and strangest kind from on board a ship blown out of the downs to norway sir i cannot but write to you of the particulars of our sad and terrible voyage to this place you know we were by my last riding safe in the downs waiting a fair wind to make the best of our way to portsmouth and there to expect the lisbon convoy we had had two terrible storms, one on the Friday before, and one on Thursday, the one the 18th, the other the 25th of November. In the last I expected we should have foundered at an anchor, for our ground tackle, being new and very good, held us fast. But the sea broke upon us so heavy and quick, that we were in danger two or three times of foundering as we rode but as it pleased god we rid it out we began to think all was over and the bitterness of death was past there was a great fleet with us in the downs and several of them were driven from their anchors and made the best of their way out to sea for fear of going on shore upon the Goodwind. The Grand Fleet was just coming in from the Straits, under Sir Cloudsy Shovel, and the great ships being designed for the river lay to leeward. Most of the ships that went out in the night appeared in the morning, and I think there was none known to be lost, but one Dutch vessel upon the Goodwind. But the next day, being Friday in the evening, it began to gather to windward, and as it had blown very hard all day, at night the wind freshened, and we all expected a stormy night. We saw the men of war struck their topmasts, and rode with two cables an end, so we made all of us snug as we could and prepared for the worst in this condition we rid it out till about twelve o'clock when the fury of the wind increasing we began to see destruction before us the objects were very dreadful on every side and though it was very dark we had light enough to see our own danger and the danger of those near us about one o'clock the ships began to drive and we saw several come by us without a mast standing and in the utmost distress 
By two o'clock we could hear guns firing in several parts of this road as signals of distress, and though the noise was very great with the sea and wind, yet we could distinguish plainly, in some short intervals, the cries of poor souls in extremities. By four o'clock we missed the Mary and the Northumberland, who rid not far from us, and found they were driven from their anchors. But what became of them, God knows. And soon after, a large man-of-war came driving down upon us, all her masts gone, and in a dreadful condition. We were in the utmost despair at this sight, for we saw no avoiding her coming thwart our hazer. She drove at last so near us that I was just going to order the mate to cut away. When it pleased God, the ship sheared contrary to our expectation to windward, and the man-of-war, which we found to be the Stirling Castle, drove clear off us, not two ships' lengths to leeward. It was a sight full of terrible particulars, to see a ship of eighty guns and about six hundred men in that dismal case. She had cut away all her masts. The men were all in the confusions of death and despair. She had neither anchor nor cable nor boat to help her, the sea breaking over her in a terrible manner, that sometimes she seemed all under water, and they knew as well as we that saw her, that they drove by the tempest directly for the good wind, where they could expect nothing but destruction. The cries of the men and the firing their guns, one by one, every half minute for help, terrified us in such a manner that I think we were half dead with the horror of it. All this while we rid with two anchors ahead, and in great distress, to fire guns for help, I saw was to no purpose, for if any help was to be had, there were so many other objects for it that we could not expect it, and the storm still increasing. Two ships ahead of us had ridden out till now, which was towards five in the morning, when they both drove from their anchors, and one of them coming foul of a small pink, they both sunk together. The other drove by us, and having one mast standing, I think it was her main mast, she attempted to spread a little peak of her sail, and so stood away before it. I suppose she went away to sea. At this time the raging of the sea was so violent, and the tempest doubled its fury in such a manner that my mate told me we had better go away to sea, for twould be impossible to ride it out. I was not of his opinion, 
but was for cutting the masts by the board, which at last we did, and parted with them with as little damage as could be expected, and we thought she rid easier for it by a great deal. And, I believe, had it blown two hours longer, we should have rid it out, having two new cables out, and our best bower and sheet anchor down. But about half an hour after five to six, it blew, if it be possible to conceive it so, as hard again as it had done before. And first our best bower anchor came home. The mate, who felt it give way, cried out, We are all undone, for the ship drove. I found it too true, and upon as short a consultation as the time would admit, we concluded to put out to sea before we were driven too far to leeward, when it would be impossible to avoid the good wind. So we slipped our sheet cable, and shearing the ship towards the shore, got her head about, and stood away afore it sail we had none nor mast standing our mate had set up a jury mizzen but no canvas could bear the fury of the wind yet he fastened an old tarpaulin so as that it did the office of a mizzen and kept us from driving too fast to leeward in this condition we drove out of the downs and passed so near the Goodwin that we could see several great ships fast aground and beating to pieces. We drove in this desperate condition till daybreak, without any abatement of the storm, and our men, heartless and dispirited, tired with the service of the night, and every minute expecting death. About eight o'clock, my mate told me, he perceived the wind to abate, but it blew still such a storm that if we had not had a very tight ship, she must have foundered, as we were now farther off at sea, and by my guess might be in the midway between Harwich and the Brill. The sea, we found, run longer and did not break so quick upon us as before. But it ran exceeding high, and we having no sail to keep us to rights, we lay wallowing in the trough of the sea in a miserable condition. We saw several ships in the same condition with ourselves, but could neither help them nor they us, and one we saw founder before our eyes, and all the people perished. Another dismal object we met with, which was an open boat full of men, who, as we may suppose, had lost their ship. Any man may suppose what condition a boat must be in, if we were in so bad a case in a good ship. We were soon tossed out of their sight, and what became of them any one may guess. 
if they had been within cable's length of us, we could not have helped them. About two o'clock in the afternoon, the wind increased again, and we made no doubt it would prove as bad a night as before. But that gust held not above half an hour. All night it blew excessive hard, and the next day, which was Sabbath day, about eleven o'clock, it abated, but still blew hard. About three it blew something moderately, compared with the former, and we got up a jury mainmast, and rigged it as well as we could, and with a mainsail lowered almost to the deck stood at a great rate afore it all night and the next day and on tuesday morning we saw land but could not tell where it was but being not in a condition to keep the sea we run in and made signals of distress some pilots came off to us by whom we were informed we had reached the coast of norway and having neither anchor nor cable on board capable to ride the ship a norwegian pilot came on board and brought us into a creek where we had smooth water and lay by till we got help cables and anchors by which means we are safe in place your humble servant j adams From on board the John and Mary, riding in Yarmouth roads during the great storm, but now in the river of Thames. Sir, hearing of your good design of preserving the memory of the late dreadful storm for the benefit of posterity, I cannot let you want the particulars as happened to us on board our ship. We came over the bar of Tenmouth, about the blank blank, having had terrible blowing weather for almost a week, insomuch that we were twice driven back almost the length of Newcastle. With much difficulty and danger, we got well over that, and made the highland about Cromer, on the north side of Norfolk. Here it blew so hard the Wednesday night before that we could not keep the sea, nor fetch the roads of Yarmouth, but as the coast of Norfolk was a weather shore, we hauled as close Cromer as we durst lie, the shore there being very flat. Here we rode Wednesday and Thursday, the 24th and 25th of November. We could not reckon ourselves safe here, for, as this is the most dangerous place between London and Newcastle, and has been particularly fatal to our colliers, so we were very uneasy. I considered that when such tempestuous weather happened, as this seemed to threaten, nothing is more frequent than for the wind to shift points, and if it should have blown half the wind from the southeast, 
as now blew from the south-west, we must have gone ashore there, and been all lost for being embayed. There we should have had no putting out to sea, nor staying there. This consideration made me resolve to be gone, and thinking on Friday morning the wind slackened a little, I weighed and stood away for Yarmouth roads, and with great boating and labour got into the roads about one in the afternoon, being a little after flood. We found a very great fleet in the roads, there was above three hundred sail of colliers, not reckoning above thirty sail which I left behind me, that rode it out thereabouts, and there was a great fleet just come from Russia, under the convoy of the reserve frigate, and two other men of war, and about a hundred sail of coasters, hullmen, and such small craft. We had not got to an anchor, moored, and set all to rights, but I found the wind freshened, the clouds gathered, and all looked very black to windward, and my mate told me he wished he had stayed where we were, for he would warrant it we had a blowing night of it. We did what we could to prepare for it, struck our topmast and slung our yards, made all tight and fast upon deck. The night proved very dark, and the wind blew a storm about eight o'clock, and held till ten, when we thought it abated a little, but at eleven it freshened again, and blew very hard. We rid it out very well till twelve, when we veered out more cable, and in about half an hour after, the wind increasing, let go our sheet anchor. By one o'clock it blew a dreadful storm, and though our anchors held very well, the sea came over us in such a vast quantity that we was every hour in danger of foundering. About two o'clock the sea filled our boat as she lay upon the deck, and we was glad to let her go overboard for fear of staving in our decks. Our mate would then have cut our mast by the board, but I was not willing, and told him I thought we had better slip our cables and go out to sea. He argued she was a deep ship, and would not live in the sea, and was very eager for cutting away the mast, but I was loath to part with my mast, and could not tell where to run for shelter if I lost them. About three o'clock abundance of ships drove away and came by us, some with all their masts gone, and foul of one another in a sad condition. My men said they saw two foundered together, but I was in the cabin, and cannot say I saw it. I saw a Russia ship 
come foul of a collier, and both drove away together out of our sight. But I am told since the Russia man sunk by her side. In this condition we rid till about three o'clock. The Russia ships which lay ahead of me and the men of war who lay ahead of them fired their guns for help was in vain to expect it the sea went too high for any boat to live about five the wind blew at that prodigious rate that there was no possibility of riding it out and all the ships in the road seemed to us to drive yet still our anchors held it and i began to think we should ride it out there or founder when a ship's long-boat came driving against us and gave such a shock on the bow that i thought it must have been a ship come foul of us and expected to sink all at once our men said there was some people in the boat but as the sea went so high no man dost stand upon the forecastle so nobody could be sure of it. The boat staved to pieces with the blow, and went away, some on one side of us and some on the other. But whether our cable received any damage by it or not, we cannot tell. But our sheet cable gave way immediately, and as the other was not able to hold us alone, we immediately drove. We had then no more to do but to put afore the wind, which we did. It pleased God by this time, the tide of ebb was begun, which something abated the height of the sea. But still it went exceeding high. We saw a great many ships in the same condition with ourselves, and expecting every moment to sink in the sea in this extremity we drove till daylight when we found the wind abated and we stood in for the shore and coming under the lee of the cliff near scarborough we got so much shelter as that our small bower anchors would ride us I can give you no account but this, but sure, such a tempest never was in the world. They say here that of eighty sail in Grimsby Road, they can hear of but sixteen, yet the rest are all blown away. Here is about twelve or fourteen sail of ships come in to this place, and more are standing in for the shore. Yours, etc. Abundance of other strange deliverances have been related, but with so small authority as we dare not convey them into the world under the same character with the rest, and have therefore chose to omit them. THE CONCLUSION
The editor of this book has laboured under some difficulties in this account, and one of the chief has been how to avoid too many particulars. The crowds of relations which he has been obliged to lay by to bring the story into a compass tolerable to the reader. And though some of the letters inserted are written in a homely style, and expressed after the country fashion from whence they came, the author chose to make them speak their own language, rather than by dressing them in other words, make the authors forget they were their own. We received a letter, very particular, relating to the Bishop of Bath and Wells, and reflecting upon his lordship for some words he spoke, that he had rather have his brains knocked out than, etc., relating to his inferior clergy. The gentleman takes the disaster for a judgment of God on him, but, as in his letter, the person owns himself the bishop's enemy, fills his letter with some reflections, indecent at least for us. And at last, though he dates from Somerton, yet balks setting his name to his letter. For these reasons we could not satisfy to record the matter, and leave a charge on the name of that unfortunate gentleman which he being dead could not answer and we alive could not prove and on these accounts hope the reverend gentleman who sent the letter will excuse us also we have omitted though our list of particulars promised such a thing, an account of some unthinking wretches who passed over this dreadful judgment with banter, scoffing, and contempt. Tis a subject ungrateful to recite and full of horror to read, and we had much rather cover such actions with a general blank in charity to the offenders, and in hopes of their amendment. One unhappy accident I cannot omit, and which has brought us from good hands, and happened in a ship homeward bound from the West Indies. The ship was in the utmost danger of foundering, and when the master saw all, as he thought, lost, his masts gone, the ship leaky, and expecting her every moment to sink under him, filled with despair, he calls to him the surgeon of the ship, and by a fatal contract, as soon made as hastily executed, they resolved to prevent the death they feared, by one more certain, and going into the cabin, they both shot themselves with their pistols. 
it pleased God the ship recovered the distress, was driven safe into blank, blank, and the captain just lived to see the desperate course he took might have been spared. The surgeon died immediately. There are several very remarkable cases come to our hands since the finishing this book, and several have been promised which are not come in. And the book, having been so long promised and so earnestly desired by several gentlemen that have already assisted that way, the undertakers could not prevail with themselves to delay it any longer. Fini. End of section 18. And End of the Storm by Daniel Defoe Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for three forty nine dollars a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.